Amen. Hey, good morning, guys. It's great, great to see uh, each and every one of you. Good to meet some new, new folks uh, here this morning. Uh, and just, hey, just never, never take the, never miss the opportunity to introduce yourself to somebody you don't know because it might just might be their first time here. All right, I, I, uh, I encourage. I encouraged the first service of that, and it, I think it came off as a pastoral rebuke. So I think that landed a little bit better right there. But anyway, they, I think they came out a little bruised. They were kind of like, they were kind of avoiding me as they, anyway. All right, so we're in a series of messages called Kingdom Culture, and it's really what we're exploring is the Sermon on the Mount uh, that Jesus preached. It's, uh, it's the longest, uh, most longest uninterrupted teaching of Jesus in the scriptures. And we've just been taking, um, we've been taking it at a pace that's uh, let it breathe. And so we've been hitting a, a beatitude a week. And the beatitudes are, um, it's interesting because Jesus talks about how the Beatitudes impact, or how the gospel impacts the individual before he talks about how the gospel impacts a community of people. And so these Beatitudes are, are wonderful. And, and um, here's what Jesus says, if you can throw that chart up there uh, for me, Chris. So basically, I, I don't think Jesus had... I don't think Jesus was like maybe had this chart in mind when he wrote the, you know, when he said the Beatitudes. But anyway, just work with me because I think this helps me understand how the Lord uh, desires to, to transform our hearts that lead to a transformation of our behaviors. Because with Jesus, they're always linked together. And I think it's really hard sometimes for us to keep them linked, right? So what we see is that the, 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 uh, the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, the good news, makes us poor in spirit. It makes us see how needy we are for him, how undeserving we are of his grace. And it leads us to mourn sin and, and to, and to wear, wear strength in a different way. Meekness is what the scriptures call it. But notice how all of the Beatitudes are correlated, and these are in Matthew 5, are correlated to really actions in community. The one we're going to be looking at today is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of of God, daughters of God. And so what we see with meekness is that if, 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 if the gospel has changed us to wear strength in a different way, this, this quiet strength, this humble strength, it empowers us in community to go make peace. Not just, not just long for peace, but to actually make it because the Holy Spirit is alive inside of us. And I want to explore every ounce of that with you today. Um, and this is kind of wrapping up the Beatitudes uh, for us. Well, next week will. But I want to I share this quote with you from John Piper about the Beatitudes because I really, think, I really think that this is true for us and what the Beatitudes have been building on for us. He says this. He says, with each Beatitude, another nail is driven into a coffin. And inside the coffin lies the corpse of a false understanding of salvation. The false understanding says that a person can be saved without being changed or that a person can inherit eternal life even if his attitudes and actions are like the attitudes and actions of unbelievers. And it's true. Jesus has no part with that. He doesn't say go change so that you can be saved. He says that when you're saved, you change. That's just what happens. The evidence is the fruit of repentance. Um, so today we're going to be continuing in on this journey, looking at this idea of peacemaking, what that means for us. But if you think about the idea of peace, it assumes a certain, like longing for peacemaking assumes a certain reality that we exist in. And that reality is this, that we exist in a climate of conflict. 
right? It didn't take long for you to be convinced of that, I can tell, right? Because the, the, you looked on your phone, you, 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 know, you got up, you talked with your spouse or your kids. Conflict is all around us, and it's an echo of the conflict that we all have with God straight out of the womb. This conflict that, that we are alienated and separated from him and needs to be restored uh, to him through Christ. But if we could define what conflict is, how would we define it? I'll take a stab at it. I think conflict is an incompatibility between two or more interests. Those interests could be people or ideas, things. So it's an incompatibility where we just hit an impasse. You know, conflict happens when you just can't get on the same page with someone else. You're just stuck. You can't seem to get the same understanding. Sometimes it's nasty, right? Sometimes you're just at a standstill. Sometimes it's personal. Oftentimes it's political. Sometimes you reconcile, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's necessary, oftentimes it's not. Jesus says this about the trajectory of how we handle conflict. That blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Because we're adopted into the family of God and we resemble our heavenly father and our older brother Jesus a little more each day, we are bent toward taking advantage, every single advantage that we can, uh, toward making peace with our lives. That's, that's, the, that's the trajectory of a disciple. Paul would say this in Romans chapter 12, 18. He says, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, he gives us that caveat, live peaceably with all. That is the trajectory of the follower of Jesus Christ, that we are making every opportunity we can, taking every opportunity to live peaceably with one another. So to set this up, I think we've got to talk about our different tendencies when conflict arises, because we all came in here wearing different tendencies when conflict happens. And to set this up, I want to share a story with you about kind of a conflict that I got into recently. It's not the kind of conflict you would imagine. So uh, I was on a skiing trip uh, this past year, uh, this past February, uh, with, with, with a few guys, a few guys from the church, and then a, a fellow from Chattanooga. And um, and me and the guy from Chattanooga, like we're both we're both church planters, and so um, which means we're a little bit crazy. And so it was the last day of the ski trip, and uh, we had been skiing, you know, black diamonds falling down, you know, losing our skis. It was it was a blast. But the last day, we decided that we really wanted to go for it. We had nothing to lose. We break a bone, we're good to go. We just go home. And so we go up to the top of the mountain. We ski down this bowl, and a bowl is an ungroomed snowfield. So it's just raw snow, and it's really deep. And it had just it had been snowing, so it was going to be a lot of fun. We went down the bowl just like we had a couple times. And to the left there was a there was a tree path. The tr- the trees are so fun. You got to try them sometime. And you're thinking, you know, uh, Sunny Bono. No, nothing like that happened. But we were going through the trees. But this last time, I was like, man, we got to do something more exciting than this. We've already done the trees, and so. There was this other um, place that we could go to the right. There wasn't a path there yet, but we were thinking maybe we could cut a path. And so I convinced Luke to go with me down that path. And everything was going fine for about the first 300 yards. And then we get uh, to this kind of standstill where we have to stop. And we are on top of a, of a ridge and there's like a sheer drop off in front of us. And we are in the middle of the woods. It's snowing. There's no one around. And we sat there and we were like, we're like racking our brain. What do we do? What do we do? And so the first option was this. We could just run away. We could take off our skis and we could just kind of head back up the mountain 
And so then, you know, I stick my pole down in the ground and there is at least three feet of snow. There's no chance we can walk in this stuff. Next option was this, which I, I was going to choose this one, to just plow through the mountain, to just go for it. Just go straight off of it. The snow was deep. It wouldn't hurt that bad. I couldn't, I couldn't, talk, I couldn't talk Luke into that one. So the, the last option, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, is, uh, is that we, we decided to cautiously navigate the conflict. And so literally, and I've got to do this, I've got to show you how we did this, is we literally had to go down the side of the mountain like this. And it took us an hour and a half. We're on our sides, scooting down and catching a tree at a time all the way down the mountain for an hour and a half. And to say that we were frozen is an understatement, all right? But we made it down this mountain and we had a great story to tell because of it. And I, I share that story with you because I think that, oppor that, that opportunity and that conflict that we had, it represents... Uh, three uh, different possibilities in how to handle conflict. And I think those, those, op those, those different possibilities really represent how you and I handle conflict or how we're tempted to. The first one is this. Maybe, maybe we just kind of, we flee the scene. We say, I want to pick up my skis. I want to go back up the hill. When a conflict arises, you're like, all right, I'm out of here. And you just leave. You, just leave. you don't even enter in. You don't even give it a chance to, 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 to get into it. The other end of the spectrum uh, is that you can't wait to get into a conflict. Like you walk in and you're like, man, I can't wait to fight somebody today. Let's get in a conflict. You know, let's, let's muscle up. And most, most of these people just do this online a lot more, you know? Um, and so, uh, and, and that's whenever, whenever a conflict arises, you can't wait to match the intensity and take it up a little bit further. And, uh, and, so, and, and here's the other thing though. Sometimes you can be passive aggressive and do this too, you know? You can, you can be that way as well. And so I think those are the two ditches, if you will, on how you can approach conflict in a, in a less than godly way. But I think what Jesus is calling us to is something in the middle, what I'm going to call just a thoughtful engagement or peacemaking. And we want to, we want to dig into this today. Um, I'm taking a lot of what I'm saying today out of a book that I read. It's like the textbook on this. It's called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. So if, if what I'm saying is resonating with you and you want to dig in further, pick that book up. But here's a quote from Ken Sandy as we kind of set this up. He says this, to some, conflict is a hazard that threatens to sweep them off their feet and leave them bruised and hurting. To others is an obstacle that they should conquer quickly and firmly. But a few people have learned that conflict is an opportunity to solve common problems in a way that honors God and offers benefits to those involved. And as you'll see, the latter view can transform the way that you respond to conflict. That's what we want to explore today. That's what we want for our lives, that we want for our hearts today. So as we, as we dig into this, you're going to see two themes that I'm weaving in here that I see from God's Word. And the two themes are this. The first one is that peacemaking is an identity before it is an activity. We, we can never be peacemakers to a God, for a God that we are not reconciled to first. You can't pursue peace unless you have peace with God yourself. And so it's, a, it's an identity. We are sons and daughters of God called to be peacemakers. The second theme is this, is that God gives us a process for making peace. And boy, do we hate that P word. Peacemaking is a process because human beings <laughs> uh, are complicated, right? Sin is complicated. It's not easy. And so God gives us a process on how to pursue peacemaking in this complicated world. And so here's the outline of where we're going today, and I'm going to weave these themes into that. 
Uh, our big idea is this. Our identity in Christ holds the power for making peace on this earth. That's what we have to continue to tap into. And so we've got to go, we've got to, the first thing we got to do is go and look. Go and look at the peacemaker. Go and look within ourselves. The second thing we got to do is go and tell. That's the place we usually like to start when it comes to conflict. Go and tell our brother or sister their fault. And the third thing is this, go and be reconciled. So let's dig in together. If you've got a Bible, let's open it up to Ephesians chapter two. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Ephesians chapter two, the, the three, literally the three verses before this are some of the most distilled and powerful descriptions of what, uh, what a life based on grace is all about. He's, he says, for by grace you've been saved, and this is not of yourself, it's the gift of God so that no one can boast. And, and so we, we see that there's that solid rock foundation that Christ has made us alive through faith. And that we have this grace that's been extended to us. And then he immediately goes in to talk about what it looks like to pursue peace uh, because of the peacemaker Jesus himself. And this is, so this is where we set that up. And what we see in this is that every conflict that you and I encounter in this, in this life, and maybe you've got one in your mind right now that was really tough for you, or maybe you've got one right in front of you right now. Every conflict is an echo of the conflict that we first had with our heavenly father. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. Therefore, because of that good gospel news in the, in the three verses before, remember, it's a command, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That was your status, is what Paul says. But now, in Christ, everything's different. You who once were far, I think that's an airplane, uh, we'll see. You who were once far off have been brought near by the what? The blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh that dividing wall of hostility, that conflict by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, I don't have time to go into the complete context of this. There was a specific context um, in, that, that involved the temple and the Gentile courts with that dividing wall of hostility. I don't have time to get into that, but I would encourage you to read into that. The big thing that I want you to see from this text this morning is that Paul, is, he's writing to this extremely diverse church, racially, socioeconomically, in one of the largest global cities in the world at the time. It sounds a lot like our city, doesn't it? Right? It does. It's very similar. Which means, and here's what that means when you live in a very diverse community that's complicated. It means that division was expected to exist in that community, in that, even in that church. He's writing to Christians in that church because of all the tension that exists in a community that's so diverse. And, uh, and so basically he's saying like, you should expect conflict in this world. If you understand the nature of our standing before God and what Jesus has come to accomplish, 
You're going to experience conflict, not just as unbelievers, but as believers. And we've got to have a plan and a process to, to deal with that. But he starts with our, with our conflict with our Father in heaven. He says, remember. That's a command for you and I. Remember. Okay, so what am I called to remember? He says, remember what it's like to not be a son or daughter of God. Remember what it was like when you were alienated from God. And he came and he found you. Remember what it's like to be found by God with no effort of your own. He finds you. Remember where Jesus found you. Remember that you were alienated from God because of sin. And Jesus has rescued you. He says, this is the place we have to start when it comes to conflict, is remembering the gospel. I know, don't we forget it so quickly. That's the main conflict. That's the conflict that every other conflict in your life will stem from. This alienation from God because of sin. It's not ultimately for Paul about the racial divide of the Jews and the Gentiles. It's not ultimately about that for us. It's not ultimately about the rich and the poor. It's not ultimately about anything else other than our alienation from God. And everything else is an echo from that. So to just treat the symptoms is to miss the whole point. And I feel like much, much of the way that we handle conflict as it surfaces in our lives is just treating the symptoms. And the Lord wants to come and make us alive and give us peace in our hearts through remembering Christ. Now, peace, though, it's, it's not just the absence of apparent conflict. Some of the most peaceable people have no relationship with God through Jesus. It's, it can't just be the absence of conflict. Peace is not just about avoiding war. Peace is about living harmoniously with God, others, self, and creation. The Bible word for this is this great word called shalom. And it's this idea of holistic flourishing, that everything is fitting together nicely and harmoniously because God is holding it together in his design. But we've got to remember, if we're ever going to pursue peacemaking, we've got to remember what has given us peace with our Father in heaven. And what is it? Yeah, Jesus, but specifically the blood. The blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ is what has given us peace with our Father. It's what has it's torn down that dividing wall of hostility. So if we're going to be peacemakers, what do you think we have to access? The blood of Christ. To be peacemakers means the blood stands between us and the conflict that's in front of us. We have to learn the present value of the blood of Christ in our relationships, especially in our conflicts. And that's what it means to pursue peacemaking. So, so that's, that's kind of where we start is we have to look at God. We have to look at what God has done in the gospel. We have to look at Jesus, the king of peace himself. And then we have to look within ourselves because anytime we look at God, it causes us to look at ourselves. So we'll go into detail about this in a future week in the Sermon on the Mount. But the general gospel principle that we are now responsible to employ in relating to others is this. Before we ever address another human heart, we have to first address our own hearts. And Jesus, and we have to do this every single time, friends. Jesus will talk about it like this. He says we're called to take the log out of our own eye before we address the speck that's in our brother or sister's eye. And it assumes some, some certain things about ourselves. The last time I checked, a log was bigger than a speck, right? 
So Jesus is saying here, listen, you, you have a distorted view of yourself, which is distorting the conflict that you're facing right now. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, he's saying we have to address you have to address what's going on in our hearts. How did I receive what's going on in this situation? And what is the Lord and how does the gospel apply to me in that situation? Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about the conflict, just brush it off. Some of you are like, man, I wish he did. He says, no, be careful how you go about addressing the speck. You know what I've noticed about Jesus is there's, he has no shortage of things to say to us. No shortage of things to say about how we engage in conflict, how we make peace in this world. And so when it comes to peacemaking, we have to have the, the posture of pausing and addressing our own hearts before we ever address the heart of another image bearer of Christ. And then, and then only, the process of peacemaking begins for us. So, so part of looking into our own hearts is addressing the natural posture that we have um, when it comes to conflict. Peacemaking is a work of the Spirit. It's not a work of the flesh because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. It's a gift of the Spirit He gives to us to extend in our relationship. But I think we all have that natural inclination toward peace faking, just hoping it'll go away, running away or peace breaking, buckling up and fighting. I mean, maybe for peace faking, maybe, maybe that's kind of where you land. Um, that, that maybe you're just, you kind of just choose to be in denial about things when they come up. You think maybe it'll just go away and it never does. Uh, or maybe you just run every time you see it. You just can't wait to get away. You just, you, you unfriend the people on Facebook. I mean, you just get away from it with everything you've got. Um, maybe that's you. Have you ever stopped to ask the question, why do I do that? What inside of me is broken that the blood of Jesus can't touch that part of how I relate to other people. Because what we're doing is we're basically just closing ourselves off to an opportunity to see a friendship grow. And, and I'm not giving the spirit an opportunity to transform my brother or sister or myself in that situation. And I've given up on me, this person, and the situation. And before long, friends, if that's the way that you handle conflict, you find yourself pretty lonely. Um, because Paul, Jesus, all of them assumed that we would have to lean into conflict. The second, maybe the second tendency is, is that um, you're, you're kind of into the peace-breaking side of things. You kind of buckle up. You've got an intense personality like me. Um, I've spent my fair share of time uh, kind of in this ditch over here. Have you ever dug your heels on a conflict to such a degree that you don't even remember how it started before? Anybody else? The rest of you are liars. I feel like I can get away with that at least once in every sermon, right? Um, yeah, of course you have. You've dug your heels in. You don't even remember how it started. You just know you want to win, right? And, um, and, and, and if that is our tendency, um, you know, anyone that comes up to us, you know, where we just, we just kind of go toe-to-toe with them, and, you know, sometimes this, this posture is aggressive and sometimes it's passive-aggressive. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, why do I just bulldog straight into all of these conflicts? What in me is broken that makes me address conflict in that way? The pathway forward for us is we want to be peacemakers. That's what Jesus has called us to, to thoughtfully engage conflict. 
In order to set this up, I want you to think about that present or past conflict that you've been in that just, you know, when you think about it, it just kind of makes your stomach turn a little bit, you know? Just makes you a little anxious. You just wish it would go away. It was just so hard on you. I want you to put yourself in that, that moment for just a second to see if the Lord might have a better way forward for us. Um, so there's lots, there's lots of things that Jesus has to say about peacemaking. I wanna draw one that maybe is not so obvious first. The first, the first opportunity to make peace, sometimes, friends, is overlooking an offense. That's one of the pathways that Jesus gives us for making peace. Listen to what Proverbs says. He says, good sense, Solomon writes this, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is his worth, it is his value, it is his dignity, it is his essence. He can't wait to overlook an offense. Now, this is different from just fleeing the scene of a conflict. This is an active overlooking, not a passive one. Sometimes God's grace just comes to us in such a powerful way where we are good with releasing the offense without engaging the other person. And the blood, friends, it just covers it. Do you have a situation in your life right now where the blood of Jesus could just cover it if you could just release it? What would it look like to be so enraptured with God's grace that you could just overlook it and be good to go. Is there any person in your life right now that, that the Lord may be calling you to that? We kind of go on through this and reconciliation is the piece I really wanted. That's kind of the end game of peacemaking that we're longing for. Let me just give you a kind of a big picture of what kind of a culture of reconciliation is like. Paul writes about it, Colossians 3. He says, just before this, he's saying, hey, you've got to take off all of these things to follow Christ. He's using this metaphor of taking off and putting on. But he says, you've got to put on as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. Like, here's your identity, he's saying. Put on these things. Because you're God's chosen you know, son and daughter, you're holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Hearts, hearts that are drawn to other people and their brokenness and their distress. Kindness, humility, meekness and patience, lots of our beatitudes here, and bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must also forgive. That's the order of biblical peacemaking. First, it looks to God and it sees what God has done for us. He's called us to himself. We're already holy and beloved. It's already finished. Therefore, the spirit can transform us and then we lean into the situations that we'd rather run from. But notice how he talks about this being a process, bearing with one another. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a season where you've just bared with somebody and it was really challenging? It was really exhausting? But you knew that, that you could see yourself in the exact same place. And somebody maybe bared with you in a season where you were like that too. Bearing with one another. That's the, the only the kind of language you hear from the church, right? From Jesus himself, that we're called to bear with one another, to be eager to forgive sins. But it is a process, friends. And I can't, I can't reiterate that enough for us. The power to forgive and be reconciled comes from looking at Jesus. It doesn't come from looking at yourself. You'll never find the strength to forgive someone by looking within yourself. It just will not be there. Forgiveness must occur in order to pursue reconciliation. But don't make the mistake of conflating reconciliation and trust because they're two different things. 
Reconciliation and forgiveness can happen instantaneously when the blood of Jesus is involved, amen? It can just happen because the blood cleanses it. Because at the, at the core, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is releasing someone from their debt caused by wrongdoing. And we can do that instantaneously as believers. And the scriptures say that this is what Jesus has done for us, and therefore we must do with our brothers and sisters. So, for, so forgiveness is given, it's granted, it's gifted. It's gifted to us, we gift it to others. But trust is gained and earned over time, isn't it? And sometimes, sometimes we, we kind of conflate those two and we think I've got to go exactly back to the place I was with that person. But we remember the story of Joseph. Do you remember how long it took him to trust his brothers again? Do you remember how many cha- out of 12 chapters of Genesis where trust was just building? Reconciliation was happening. Forgiveness was happening, but trust was building. Do you have a situation right now where, you know, it's not reconciled, or maybe you've forgiven, but trust is just not there, what would it look like for you in this season to at least create an atmosphere where trust could build? Maybe you need to back it way off of where the relationship used to be, but you can lean into and begin to build trust, give opportunities for building trust. Again, it's just like if you've got children, and a a child, uh, they disobey you in a certain way where you're very specific, you back off of those freedoms, don't you? And you you release the line, you know, as they they get older and and the trust builds more. We have to do the same thing with our friendships, with the the conflicts that we face and the way that we pursue um, reconciliation. This is why, and friends, this is why we got to come back to the gospel over and over again. So, okay, I need to get on to the next point, though. We're going to be here all day. So, anyway, number two said, go and look at, go and look at the Lord. Go and look within. And then we get to the place where we think we should start all the time. Go and tell your brother or sister their fault. Much work has to be done for us as believers for our hearts to be in a place worthy of reaching out to a brother or sister that we're in conflict with. I think that's the point I want you to see. Go and tell your brother or sister his fault. So we have to learn how to see conflict as an opportunity for transformation. And if we, if, we, if we came to believe that conflict is not the enemy, but because of the blood, it's an opportunity, how would that change your life today? How would that change those situations that you wanna run from or you wanna just plow through? So what's the process of peacemaking? Well, Jesus, Jesus has a lot to say about this. Like I said, in Matthew 18, he lays it out very specifically. He, it starts with this, a loving confrontation. So if you, want to, if you feel like you need to go talk to your brother or sister that you're in conflict with, it starts with this loving confrontation. Matthew 18, 15 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, you should probably underline that part. Go and tell him his fault, you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother, you've gained your sister. It does not say go and tell everyone else, right? But how often do we go and tell everyone else but the person that we're in conflict with? Faith means that we have the courage to step in and address the situation before we talk to others about it. It does not say go post it online, right? So the question I want you to consider is, do I have the courage to see conflict as an opportunity? And on the other side of that, am I the kind of person that is approachable when conflict arises? Am I the kind of person that a brother or sister could reach out to? Um, because I think we can, we can posture ourselves in such a way where we're inaccessible too. So, okay, you're like, okay, pastor, that's never gonna work. Well, Jesus has a plan for that too. Listen to what he says. Doesn't work out. Matthew 18, 16 says this. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with me. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. More people involved? 
that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Friends, this church, look around at this, this, this family here, these people in this room. They are a functional force of good for your sanctification in your life if we truly believe in the biblical model of a church. We have to trust one another, especially when seasons like this come up where we're in a conflict and it just can't work out. What would it look like for us to expect that kind of community even around hard things? But instead, how many times do people just bolt from the community? Instead of letting the, the Holy Spirit use and transform a community by how it functions in love together. Sometimes we need other brothers and sisters in our lives to help us see our fault. That's just the way it is. There's no way around it. What would it look like for you to be a little more okay with that? And if that doesn't work, Jesus has another command. He says, if he or she refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, an unbeliever. We interpret this um, as not coming up and telling it from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, but making your spiritual leaders aware of what's going on and the conflict that you have with another brother or sister. In that case, that would be the elders of our church. There's nine of us. And oftentimes we are involved in, in situations where we have to employ these biblical peacemaking priorities. But notice the order. It's only after you've done the first two things that the elders are called to be. And you would be surprised how often the Lord uses uh, this process to, to, to uh, reconcile brothers and sisters together and ultimately change and transform their lives. I, I've, I've had friends that I've been in conflict with before that I've had to wrestle through stuff like this. And I can tell you, tr maybe trust wasn't there immediately, but we have deeper and more sturdy friendships now because of what we've endured. And I want that to be the case for you as brothers and sisters in Christ here in this church. But why is this so important that Jesus lays out this whole chapter about it? Because the unity of the body of Christ is the greatest apologetic to the reality that Jesus is king in this world. It is, a, it is, think about this room of people. There is no way if the Holy Spirit wasn't alive in here that we would all be together and prioritizing community with one another. We have to pursue biblical peacemaking, the peace and purity of the church, that value made, if you're a member of this church, with everything inside of us. And anytime someone gets uh, kind of weaved into a conflict that is not addressed, a little bit of our unity fades, get a little darker, blend in a little more with the world. We have to pursue it with everything inside of us. Is there anyone in your life right now that you really need to pursue this with? What would it look like for you to take the next step of obedience in that direction? Lastly, so go and look at Jesus, go and look at yourself, go and tell your brother or your sister their fault. Lastly, go and be reconciled. That word reconciled is an interesting word. It doesn't mean what I thought it meant. <laughs> it, it's this word catalasso, and it, it has two parts. Cata is kind of the prefix, and it means thoroughly, and alasso means to change. So if you put the two words together, the goal of our life in Christ is to change thoroughly. Think about that, to be reconciled, to be changed mutually, to be reconciled with other people, to change thoroughly. So if you're a new creation in Jesus, God is changing you through the Spirit. 
And to pursue reconciliation in the face of conflict is to be changed together in Christ. Jesus wants to change us together, friends, and the medium is oftentimes going to be conflict. We were changed. What would this this narrative be like as we look back in the rearview mirror of our time at New City Church in this season? We look back and we said, man, do you remember how much the Lord changed us together as he unified our body? Do you remember how hard it was, but how beautiful it was? What would it look like for that to be our story, church? As you consider these things, I'm going to read this passage from 2 Corinthians 5 over you as kind of a way to conclude the sermon as we turn to the table. And I want you to hear the the words of the Apostle Paul as he describes what it means to be reconciled and to be ambassadors of reconciliation in this world, because that's my prayer and my hope for us. So just close your eyes for a moment and just, just rest in the Lord and hear these words. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might not no longer live for themselves, but rather for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on then, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself And he gave us this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.